from Kurtco Media. There's no place like Hollywood. Welcome back to Hollywood Unscripted. I'm Jenny Curtis, and today I'm sitting down with the incredible Darcy Carden, who you know from The Good Place or Barry or Broad City. She came up through UCB, and she has an amazing story to tell, so we're going to get to it. Darcy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm stoked because The Good Place (laughs) and Barry are two of my all-time favorite shows. I'm so floored by how in their different tones they are just flawless in in what they strive to do that's really cool to hear i um i also like agree (laughs) 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 which is the you know like maybe if i created them i wouldn't say that i would be like oh thank you very much but being like a small part of both of them i feel like i'm allowed to say those are two of my favorite shows if i wasn't in them i would be watching them they would very much be my favorite shows So before we get into all of that, I am obsessed with process and artists and who they are and how they came to be. So I want to start at the very, very beginning. And I know you were kind of bit by the acting bug from a very young age. I was bit by that little bug so early. I would say especially with live theater. I don't think I kind of made the leap as a little kid that the movies that I watch could be. I didn't watch E.T. and think like. I could be in that. That was like, that's its own world, you know. But when I would see a play, it felt closer and more like, what are they doing when they're not on stage? They're in this building. What, what, where do they go when they walk off that stage? I was so interested in the actors on the stage. Yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area where there's a ton of theater. My parents would take us to plays all the time. And I remember a woman who was the mom of one of my friends in preschool was in a play. This wonderful actress named Carrie Dennison. And so I just knew her as the mom of my friend, and then she was in a play, and then I got to see her afterwards. That was a huge moment for me, Mm. where I was like, she was different on that stage. She was like a completely different character. Was that kind of a thing where like, okay, I'm going to process that on my own, or did you suddenly have questions for her? I was so young. This is like little kid land. I think I just sort of became enamored with her and shy and excited when I would see her. She wasn't like a huge part of our lives. We didn't see her all the time. But when I did see her, I kind of like worshipped her. Yeah. (laughs) And the next thing was my dad was in a play. And my dad wasn't an actor actor. He just was in like the church play and a little community theater play. My mom would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Those are special. Yeah. yeah. So special. Totally. Again, that was where it was like, I think I would see the the play every night. It was Our Town. It was (laughs) the play Our Town. And my, my family wouldn't, but I would go with my dad every night. And I'd like sit on the floor in the front row. And then I would kind of like linger backstage, which meant the back of the church. I just kind of became obsessed with the possibility of that was something I could do. And the truth is, once that bug bit me, it's not only that it never went away. It's like I had full blinders on to any other possibility. It was like no other choice or something. And I do feel like that's kind of, um, 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 what's a better word than dumb? <laughs> it's not like a smart thing to devote your life to this because it's so hard, so hard yeah. and so hit or miss and such, you know, rejection after rejection, which, of course, you don't know when you're like six years old. But I didn't have a plan B. Yeah. And I feel like if someone told me that this is what they were going to do, I'd be like, no, 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 that's not a good <laughs> idea. But because it happened to me, 
I, it's like that knowledge. Yeah. I now I'm going to talk about myself. Please do. I had the same. Yeah, I had the do. same thing. Like my mother was in the church plays, and I remember so clearly watching her. She was in Steel Magnolias, and watching her like have a meltdown on stage was yeah. the most magical thing. And so I've loved theater my whole life. And then when I was about to graduate high school, I was like, mm, I can't go to acting school. That's an idiotic exactly. choice. That's smart. a dumb choice. Yeah. I know. I was, I was so smart. Yeah. And I went to liberal arts school and didn't pick a major and was just floating all over the right, place. Right, right. Um, one summer, I was incredibly lucky, and I got to intern for Patti Lapone while she was doing Gypsy. Oh, my God. And it was fantastic. But, like, it was that standing in the wings on stage. Like, I'm like, R-. the audience is right there, and yeah. I'm right in the wings. I'm watching her do, you know, Rose's turn, and she's, for me, for me. And I'm like, oh, no, this is for me. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew with every fiber of my being, like, I have to be here. Yeah. It is like, oh, no. It's addicting. Yeah. And yeah. then. It becomes an obsession. There's just no other choice. Mm -hmm. It happens to so many of us. It's not unusual. You used to summer in L.A., right? Yeah. So you stayed at the Oakwoods, right? Yeah. So I was there when I was a kid kid. We would stay at the Oakwood probably like age 7 through 12 or something like that. I might be getting those wrong. A bunch of summers. It's funny to like look back on it because we would live there because it was close to my dad's office Mm -hmm. in Burbank. But it happened to be, like, populated by all these kid actors. I don't even think my parents knew that when we found the place. So, you know, we would go to the pool during the day or we would go to the whatever the hell. Where The Oakwood was just sort of like, yeah, this, like, (laughs) truly, like, this little world. So we would just spend these days, these, like, summer days with all these kids, making new friends, blah, blah, blah. And then they would be like, I have to go to bed because I have to, like, wake up and shoot tomorrow. And we'd be like, what? (laughs) Or, oh, I got to go because I have to go to an audition. You know, this was not the community theater or the little school play or whatever that I was used to. This was, like, real. Did you stay in contact with any of them? Let me think. I mean, the answer is no, but I'm trying to think of what who the longest. It, like a, a girl from an episode of The Wonder Years or maybe a couple episodes. And when you're 7 or 10 or however old I was, that's, like, huge. Yeah. Huge. She was on the damn <laughs> Wonder Years. And she gave me a silk shirt that she outgrew. Whoa. My mom wouldn't buy me a silk shirt. <laughs> I don't remember her name. I definitely, oh, yes, I do. Jackie, Jackie. Her name is Jackie. There was a girl who, she was on Moesha, Countess, Countess something. She's great. She's incredible. If you know her, she's like your favorite. Oh, oh, and then a a big one was in the movie um, Hook with Robin Williams. There was, you remember all the Lost Boys? Oh, yeah, I remember. There was one little (laughs) cutie named Pockets who like said something along the lines of like, I found your smile, Peter, or something like that. Something really cute. He was like the cutest one. He was the cutest one. Yeah. And who knows, honestly, who knows who else was there? Maybe Ryan Gosling was there. I have no (laughs) idea. But these were just kind of like regular kids that we would play with. And I remember even one of them was like, I'm going to audition for a blah, blah, blah movie. You should come. And I was like, please, mommy and daddy. And I remember having like a pretty adult conversation with my dad where he was like, the answer is no. Basically, like, you can't audition for movies and TV. You're too young. And I was like, Dad, look around. Look at all these kids living their lives. And he was like, I think the rejection is just too intense for a kid. Mm -hmm. And I don't want you, like, making money at this age. And I was pretty bummed. I remember saying, like, I can handle it. I know what you're saying. I get it. But I'm different. Like, I can handle it. But still, no. And that's fine. I mean, obviously, looking back, like, I think that's a great parental choice. You're now a very well-adjusted person. (laughs) Right, right, right. Assuming, I don't know you. I'm so (laughs) (laughs) well-adjusted. So then, flash forward to graduating from high school, what made you choose to go study for your BFA rather than going straight to the business? Mm, Funny. I don't know. I mean, I guess I do know. Part of it is, like, 
it was maybe just assumed that we, meaning my family or my friends at school, like you just go to college. Mm -hmm. It was like you go to elementary school and then you go to junior high, then high school, then college. And looking back on it now, I'm like, don't go to college, people. Get out there. Although, I I mean, I don't really mean that because my college experience was great. But when people are debating college or no college, I I don't know. I think it depends on the person, of course. Yeah, I think it's like a very much a personal path thing where like I went to CalArts and I loved my program. I do not regret it for a second, you know, taking forever in college because I had to start over. But I wouldn't change it for the world because it made me who I am. And I know a bunch of people I went to school with who were like, why the hell? Yeah. Why the hell did I spend so much money doing that? I think it's, yeah, I think especially for people that are, you know, paying student loans 10, 20 years later, it's Mm -hmm. like, what was that for? But everybody has a different story and a different path and a different everything. So for me, it was great. What was your favorite takeaway from theater school? That's That's a big one. Because there's like so many little things. I think perhaps, perhaps I think I got the confidence that I was funny Mm. in theater school, which wasn't the plan. We didn't have like improv or anything like specifically comedy. But I think I sort of found my place. I feel like I like figured comedy out in college through plays and through scene study and stuff. Just like I really I was like, okay, this I really get. I can like really click into this. And it works every time, you know, like it was kind of like, whoa, I just discovered like the equation to the math problem or whatever. And not to say that I didn't absolutely die on stage plenty of times, but I kind of found my place there in college. And I kept finding myself in sort of like comedy forward roles. And I was like, okay, I like this. Yeah. Yeah. You said so like the comedy formula, do you think it's more of a, a heady thing or an intuitive thing when you jump into your comedy? I think it is intuitive. After college, when I moved to New York, I got really into comedy. As much as theater and acting was an obsession in my childhood and teen years, comedy became my new obsession in like my 20s. So I think there is a little bit of both. Man, I don't know. I No, I think it's intuitive. But it's fun to talk about it like it's math, if that yeah. makes sense, with like other kind of comedy nerds. It's not that cool to actually talk about comedy because it's subjective and people have different senses of humor and everything. But when you're talking to people that speak your same comedy language, it's really fun to talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Nerd out on comedy. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned New York. I know you got into UCB. Was that immediate or were you in New York for a while before you found UCB? It's funny. It feels like I was in New York for so long, but I was not at all. I think I was in New York for two years before I found it, but it felt like an eternity. I went to New York. Being like, I'm going to spend two years here and then I'm going to move to L.A. But I really love New York and I got to do New York. It wasn't like two years to the day and then I'm moving. But it was kind of like, if you're not on Broadway in two years, get the hell out of there. In college in the summers, I would do these shows in the Bay Area with this theater company. And a lot of New York actors would come out to do these shows. And a lot of them were like straight out of NYU, older than me by maybe like four or five years. And a lot of them were like starting to get into Broadway shows. Mm. So my sort of like summer group of friends, my like little theater company, they were all on Broadway. And then they would do their summer show in the Bay Area and then they'd go back and pop into whatever like ensemble they were in. And so I was like, well, these are my peers. These are my people. Like I'm going to Broadway. That's what we do. That's what this theater company does. And then I got to New York and it was so big and scary. And Had you never been? I'd been a ton, actually. My family would We love New York and we would try to go like once a year and I loved it. And I knew from like a young age that I wanted to live there and even was dead set on going to NYU. And then around senior year of high school, I was like, that's too far. (laughs) 
Oregon sounds better. I could drive home. I, you know, I, I'm a little bit of like a family girl. Mm-hmm. So I did drive home all the time. Anyway, just like, you know, you know how it is in New York, I assume. You were yeah, there for oh, yeah. a while. Yeah. I always wanted to live in New York. So like that was always the plan for me. Yeah. And then every single time I was about to, something better would show up in LA. Interesting. And I was like, okay. Do you fine. still have that pull? I mean, yes, but I'm from here. I'm from LA. So like all of my friends who have gone have since back. come back. Yeah, so it's like what happens. I missed my life. I know. Go with my tribe yeah. kind of thing. Although, you know, life is long. Who yeah. knows? I mean, Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, maybe I'll move there tomorrow. Yeah, you might. Or you'll move there for a short time or who knows? I mean, really, you never know, especially in this biz, like what would take you where. But, 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 yeah. So I think after a year or two in New York, you know, looking through like audition newspapers, literally, like that's what it was. (laughs) It was so bleak, man. It was like absolutely without an agent. I'll look at this newspaper that tells me about auditions and I'll circle the ones that I think I might be good for and I'll go to those and it'll either be creepy when I get there or it'll be a line out the door around the corner and I can already tell I'm not right for it. It was just hard. It was just hard. And by the way, I'm talking about like student films or tiny little theaters or you know, some like closet in Brooklyn or whatever. It was not, it was not off, 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 Broadway. Exactly. (laughs) And then occasionally some big old Broadway, like what are they called? Open calls. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I I was like cow call. That's what it feels like. It feels (laughs) like you're like a cow. Cattle calls. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Cow call. It's just disheartening and makes you feel about as big as a, a, a speck, a tiny little ant, you know? So I think I was getting ready to, to come back to California and a friend said, we got to go see this improv show at UCB. I had sort of heard of the Comedy Central show, but not not really. And I knew who Amy Poehler was from SNL. And yeah, it was like pretty life changing in that one show. It was like, holy shit. What is this? How do I do it? How do I get on that stage? I want to work with every single person that's on the stage. I want to do this show. Like, it was so clear again. This is it. The same feeling you had? Exactly. Truly, it was the same feeling as, like, a little kid watching a show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, like, I don't know, religious something. This is it. Cool. And then signed up for classes the next day. Do they have an audition thing for UCB? They do. It was a, um, a school and, like, classes that you would take. And then when you get to a certain level, you could audition and it took me a couple. I think it took me three to get on a team. Mm. But the first audition was, like, great. And I got a callback. I think I got farther than I thought on the first audition, which gave me, like, mega confidence. And I was kind of like, great. They want me. They love me. I'm and I'll work with Amy Poehler exactly. next week. <laughs> yes. And I was like, next round, they're going to beg me to be on the team. And then on the next round, I didn't get a callback. And, and this is, like, the biz. I mean, mm-hmm. truly, in a small way. And I felt it in college and I felt it in high school. You get these little moments of confidence and then these moments of I made the worst choice. I will never be on that stage. The swings from top to bottom, you know, yeah. I'm the king of the world to like I'm a piece of shit. It can be day to day and it's hard to deal with. I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. And it never goes away. But I do think in my life the little confidence boosts and then the like low times are actually really good for me, you yeah. know, or really good for everybody. Even though they're hard when you're in them, looking back on all of those, I'm like, oh, that is absolutely what made you ABC, whatever. Like try harder, work harder, learn this, take this class, whatever it is. And then, you know, makes you who you are, like you said. So you were saying you didn't get the call back for UCB, but like then what, what yeah. when did you, what happened? Yeah. Then on my third round, I did get it. I got, you know, I got on a team. 
UCB is is one of those places that become like all encompassing. Mm-hmm. But it's such a weird little small world that like to tell someone from high school that I got on a Herald team at UCB means absolutely nothing. But to my UCB friends, it's like, you know, you're hot shit. Exactly. I mean, yeah. it's like, let's go out and celebrate. This is your dream. Congratulations. This is it. You did it. Mm. Which is kind of a funny, weird thing to like deal with in your real life. Like I remember a dear friend coming to New York to see me in a show at UCB. And it was like a weekend show, which also is like really hard to get on one of those teams. And I was one of very few girls that were on those. And I felt really proud of that. And she came with her mom to New York and came and saw a show and was like, so confused. You know, was just like, wait, it's the theater's under this Oh, we, we to to like explain it. UCB in New York was under a Gristides and a Gristides is a gro- like kind of a regular old grocery store, not the cleanest one you've ever been in. And it was like a little dark, dungeony, shitty, dirty, beer spilled, like ugly carpet. It just was like a shitty little theater that we loved so much. We loved it so much. So to bring someone from the outside, outside world into it and then to be like, Huh? Yeah. It kind of you go like, oh yeah, yeah, right, right, right. This is special to us, but it's not necessarily for everybody. Does that hurt, or can you write it off? A little bit of both. And that one in particular was like, you know, this is now years into my UCB career, so you can't really be like, no, let me explain it to you. This is actually (laughs) really cool and really hard to get to because it's like, well, it's her experience. She walked downstairs in this dirty, stinky little theater, and she saw a show that she probably didn't really get, and a bunch of comedy nerds were cackling around her, and I'm sure it was not her favorite experience. So for me to, like, try to explain it to her, I don't think would have worked. But And then I remember her saying months later, like, are you still at that, the- that like, theater under the, the grocery store? And love her. Yeah. It does sort of make you feel further and further away from everybody else in the world that's yeah. not doing what you're doing. Yeah. And that is probably one of the things that makes casts and theater companies and, you know, ensembles, like, so close and so obsessed with each other. It's because you're like, oh, you get me. Yeah. I really love actors. I love being a part of a team. I love being an ensemble member. I love it so fucking much. You know, I love my friends or I love my family or I love this or that, but like you get me. So yeah. So when I got on Harold team after my third audition, I was thrilled and really just wanted to like put my head down and crank it out. And like, what I mean by that is like, The way it was back then, not that it's like so, so, so much better today, but it's a lot better today. There were very, very, very few females on the teams, Mm -hmm. sometimes like one for every eight. I just was like, you got to be as good as them or better. You cannot be worse. Just put your head down and study that. I would I would see show after show after show. I would take classes like I took a lot of classes over more than one time just because it was like, okay, well, there's a different teacher teaching this. So I want to I want to take it with them. You know, how many practice groups and indie teams and you pay money for space and you pay money for coaches. It was like all so worth it. It felt really worth it. And it still does. But, man, I really just wanted to be a part of that show that I had seen that first day. You know, I was like, that's the goal. Is there still a way you flex the training muscle or is it all on the job now? You just keep it fresh by working. I still do a lot of live shows and it's been harder the last couple of years because of COVID. But I find that when I am not doing improv regularly on stage, I like kind of go crazy. Mm -hmm. I like really need it. 
it's not like an obligation. It's like I need it. I love it. Yeah. I love oh, yeah. it. I mean, I guess it's in front of a crowd, so it's self-serving. You get those laughs and that applause, but you're not getting paid for it. So it's like kind of stage class in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like figuring it out on your feet and learning with your fellow improvisers. Some you know so well and some are new. And every show, I've done a few in this like post I mean, we're not in a post-pandemic, but you know what I mean, since the world's opened up a little bit. And I'm, like, so grateful for it. Oh, my God, I'm so grateful for it. You know, when you start, like, acting and getting paid for it and you're on TV and it's uh, harder to to make yourself do a show that's on a Sunday night for $0 and maybe it's at 10 p.m. or whatever. And so, like, in the years leading up to COVID, I found myself being like, no, you're going to love it. I know you're tired right now and I know you had a long day or whatever, but you're going to love it. It's going to fill the tank. It yeah. Exactly. It's like you never regret it. You mm-hmm. always are glad you did it. Even if the show is bad, even if the show is bad, you, Darcy, you have never once regretted it. You've never been like, I shouldn't have come to that show. It always gives you something or teaches you something. When you think back at all the improv you've done and, and you're still doing and moments stand out to you, are they more the moments that there are flops on stage or more the moments that there are successes? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, you really remember your flops. <laughs> you really do. Improv in particular is a little bit of like a black hole with memory because it's not planned. It's happening in the moment as you're doing it and then it's gone forever. I mean, there are shows that I've done where I've walked off stage and been like, what do we do? I don't remember anything we did. And then there are certain shows that stick with you or certain scenes or certain characters or certain moments. But I don't have a good like improv encyclopedia or like scene encyclopedia brain. They just sort of disappear into the night. But there are a few. I mean, like I can remember a um, pre getting on a Herald team. And by the way, a Herald team is like a house team at UCB. It's like the Mm -hmm. first house team. Before that, I was in a class. So I was still just taking class. And There was some sort of show, I think it was called The Lottery, and it would be like teachers and students. It was once a month, so if you got picked to do it, it was a big deal. Of all the students, there were tons of students. So it would be like one student from each level. I think there were five levels. I got lotteried. I got chosen to do it. And I think I was in the fifth level. So of my students, I'm the most advanced. I'm the one who has like the most experience. You have the toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. It it was that thing again where I'm like, I'm going to fucking kill this. And we rehearsed with the teachers. And these teachers are not just teachers. They're like our heroes. The Mm -hmm. students at UCB are obsessed (laughs) with the teachers. And the teachers are the performers. So to call them teachers, I mean, they're teachers and performers. So I was getting to perform with six or so of these like gods to me. And we did a rehearsal before the show. I think like it was like Bobby Moynihan and Anthony Antamnik and Joe Wangert all these dudes. And the rehearsal went really well. And I like had some great moments and I was feeling great. And then we got onto the stage that night. And my first scene, my scene partner, who was incredible, I don't want to even name check him because it sounds like I'm talking shit about him, but he should have done this. I kind of just froze. And Mm -hmm. so he like kind of steamrolled me. But in a way where I might have done that too, I had nothing. The lights and the cameras and the action and the audience. And I sort of froze and couldn't quite get a thought out. And so he kind of just took over. So when I went to the back line to think about what I had done, I was like, you're going to fucking kill it on this next one. Come on. Come on. Like, listen, open your eyes, open your ears. Like, just take what comes to you and you you got this. And then the next scene, I pushed way too hard. Mm -hmm. And I went blue, which is fine, but I went blue too early, but like really landed my punchline or whatever. And it bombed. (laughs) Totally bombed. Not to booing or anything, of course. Like, no response. No That's way worse. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I remember going home that night, and my now husband, but my boyfriend, I, like, sobbed. I cried myself to sleep while he, like, like, rubbed my head. 
truly sobbed. Just like it was my opportunity and I fucked it up forever is oh, how God. you feel. Yeah. Like that was your chance. Yeah. So anyway, you ask about like, do I remember bombs or wins? Yeah. Wins are hard to – I do remember <laughs> – it's not even like what – here's what it is. The things I remember maybe with the wins – are not even the moment where what it was that I said or the look that I gave or the whatever. It's like maybe what somebody said after the show, you know? Mm. There was one show, my first show I did with Amy Poehler. God, what a moment. I know. I mean, you've worked with such legends no, anyway, no, no. but like, oh my God, oh my what a God. moment. I know. It was too much. It was yeah. incredible. But also she's so warm and wonderful, <laughs> like warm and wonderful times a billion. She's like the greatest and so welcoming and incredible that it wasn't scary to be on stage with her. Mm-hmm. But what, I guess a win when, when I'm thinking of that is I just remember doing something on stage and then coming to the back line. So not off stage, still on stage. But, you know, the audience can't really like hear us because there's a scene going on. But she was doing her little Amy Poehler laugh, her little like, <laughs> and she looked at me and she's like, you made me laugh so hard. And I was I like ascended into the heavens. <laughs> And I died. It was really great. It was like a cool thing for her to say yeah. on stage. I mean, quietly, but on stage and give me that confidence. I don't know if she knows mm-hmm. what she means to people, especially like gals coming up in comedy. She's she's really, I mean, I hate when people say like she's everything or when someone says like that's everything, but she really is everything. Mm-hmm. She's like, she's got it all. And she's one in a million. <laughs> I like idolize her still. Everybody does. I know. Because she's everything. She really is. But now you're like, I'm assuming, kind of friends with your idol because you've worked with her, like acquaintances, friendly acquaintances. I would say friends. Yeah, we talk a lot. Pretty neat. It's pretty cool. When I sat in that theater that first night and it was like Amy and Seth Meyers and Jack McBrayer and Rob Riggle and Paul Shear and Jason Manzoukas and this like incredible group. And I love them all, but I definitely, I I have such stars in my eyes for Amy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even the first day she knew my name, I was like, oh my (laughs) God. And she just continues to be the absolute greatest. So Chris Kelly's Other People, where yeah. you literally play like a member of an improv team. Yeah. I, I had never seen it, and I watched it last week because cool. I'm going to talk to you. And it's, oh, my God, what a gorgeously done film. Yeah. But the scene with you in the show was <laughs> so real and heartwarming. Mm-hmm. You kind of performed with such kindness on stage to this mother character. And uh, anyway, it was beautiful. So I'm Thanks. just, uh, I, I really loved it. But like, how did how did that happen? How did, how did you happen? end up in a show yeah. playing kind of a version, I'm assuming, of yeah. yourself? Yeah. I'm so glad you like that movie. I love that movie. It's just a stunning, beautiful, beautiful movie. Chris Kelly, the writer of that movie, the director of that movie, and, you know, went on to be the head writer of SNL. And he writes the show The Other Two that's on HBO now. He was just one of my best UCB friends. Mm. So we were on a sketch team together and did like a one-act show together. And he just was one of my absolute best friends. So when this movie, well, I'm like, when this movie came around, I'm like, I watched him like rip his hair himself out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when he told, I'm, I'm trying to think of like the moment that he asked me to be in the movie because that was pretty special that he let me be in it, you know, with not a credit to my name, not really. It was really cool of him. It was just such a, I don't know, vote of confidence. So I don't really remember how he asked me to be in it other than just he asked me to be in it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're going to play yourself. I don't think my name is Darcy in the movie, but he definitely was like, you're playing yourself. And Jesse Plemons, I mean, Chris was always very, like, cool about this. He wouldn't be like, Jesse's playing me. (laughs) But Jesse's definitely playing, like, a very strong version of Chris. And he was like, and we're going to populate the improv team with our other friends. I don't know if you recognized anybody on the back line. If you go back, it's like Nicole Byer, 
oh, Brandon right, right, Scott yeah, Jones, yeah. Drew Tarver, Colton Dunn, Fran Gillespie. It's like incredible people that have all gone on to do really amazing things. And Jesse Plemons, oh my God, what a doll. Just the sweetest. He is quiet and a little shy, but so warm and lovely and was nervous about the improv. This is like out of his comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like full improv. I don't really even remember. I think it wasn't scripted, but we sort of like figured it out on the day. We're going to mm-hmm. kind of do scenes like this and then improvise around them. But Jesse was just such a uh, man. What a dear. And one of our best actors, I really think. Our generation, he's really, really incredible. Yeah. But it was such a fun day getting to do what felt like a real show for a real audience. You know, not to mention the audience had Molly Shannon and Bradley Whitford in it. And it was just really cool. It was like incredibly special to be a part of that. Solar from Kurtco Media. NASC located the Athon two days ago. However, we have not established contact. What was that? I do not detect any abnormalities. The lights are getting brighter. Is the electricity overloading? Everything is nominal. What are the odds of survival for the Athon crew? We won't speculate on those circumstances. I'm sure you can understand. Solar, a fully immersive sonic adventure with revolutionary sound from Dolby Atmos. Incoming message from Jamal. Accept, accept. Rich, it's coming into the airlock. Get away from the airlock. Hurry. Starring Academy Award winner Helen Hunt. If we deviate from the plan even by an hour, we lose everything. Tony Award winner Alan Cumming. I'm simply not willing to risk the lives of any crew members for the sake of an experiment. Stephanie Beatrice. I'm going to save you, Jamal. And Jonathan Bangs. One problem at a time, friend. Solar. Shadows are darker this close to the sun. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. We've talked about this ad nauseum, kind of, of you're you're coming up, you worked odd jobs, and you were a nanny, and, and, you know, I know you nannied for Bill Hader, so I would love to get into that. I know you've talked about it a lot. But, like, it's your ori- your origin story. The superhero super- of comedy that is Darcy Carden. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I would love to hear about the odd mm-hmm. jobs and how that enriched yourself as yeah. a creative. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think of New York as, like, odd job central. And I guess L.A. would be the same. But it's, like, New York is such a – oh, God, it's so expensive – and your apartment is so tiny mm-hmm. and you have so many auditions and so many jobs. And, you know, you got to hop in the subway and hop on another subway. And, oh, my God, if you could afford a cab, you're so lucky. And I would leave the house with a backpack that felt like I was a snail and it was my home. You know, the <laughs> shell. Like, I left my house with my house on my back every day. You've got two outfits because you're going totally. to auditions. Boots, yeah. <laughs> rain boots, an umbrella, props for some show I was in. Like, just... My God, I feel like I would like go to work at seven in the morning and come home at like midnight. Now, if I don't get 10 hours of sleep, I want to kill myself. (laughs) L.A. is so easy. I know we're talking about odd jobs, but I just had a memory of like one of the sketch teams that I was on at UCB, which had an incredible cast. People like Brandon Scott Jones and Chris Kelly and Connor Ratliff. And it was just really incredible. Looking back, I'm like, man, what what a group. But we would start our tech rehearsal for our monthly show after the last show. So we would start our tech rehearsal at like 1 in the morning because mm. the last show would be midnight, maybe 11. So we'd start our tech at 1, be out by 3, and you got to go to your job in the morning. Oh my God. If you're lucky, you could like maybe call in sick or something. But this was happening once a month. But it is funny because I'm like, I loved it. We yeah. loved it. It was yeah. like thrilling. But anyway, it's a funny thing to think back on now because now I'm like, 
if I had to go. I would die. Yeah. I just would actually curl up and die. (laughs) Yeah. The odd jobs, it was just like every actor, you've got to pay the bills and you're not going to get paid to act for a while, if ever. And if you do, sometimes it's you get your check and that's your job for the year. I mean, it's not like it's hard to understand from the outside. If you're not an actor, like people will be like, well, I saw you in that commercial or I saw you on that episode of whatever. And you're like, yeah, that paid me for like, and, and sometimes actors get paid great, but it's still all you're making. Yeah. 500 even, bucks for the month. For the month yeah. or for the two months or for the six months. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're we're, like, how often are we getting booked when you're just like chugging away in New York? Or how often would I get booked that was something that was like no pay, but copy for your reel or whatever. <laughs> you yeah. know, I did do all the waitressing jobs and the temp jobs. And the the one I sort of like settled into was nannying just because mm-hmm. it brought me joy. I actually, waitressing brought me joy too. I was actually fired from waitressing. <laughs> because joy would, and I was fired. You would call out or what? I, you know, it was like a lot of the waiters in New York are actors. But I worked at a restaurant that was a little upscale and there were a few like career waiters and the owner of the restaurant, I think, just wanted like waiter waiters. Mm-hmm. But all of us actor waiters would like switch shifts and I got an audition here and I have a show here. So like let, we just sort of like took care of business. And it was fine, and nobody had to know, you know. But I could tell it. it Wait on them. them, yeah. And I was the whatever, the one that had to go. <sighs> so rude. I overpoured a drink, I think. <laughs> I overpoured a wine, and that was a good excuse. And I and I was let go. And then, by the way, I'm remembering this right now. Like the next week, I booked my first commercial, and I remember being like, "Oh, I would have been working. Mm-hmm. I would have been at my job. Definitely wouldn't have gotten to go to that audition." That was a little like, ooh, it's things a, happen it, for It's a like reason. a gift. Yeah. So, nannying for Bill. Yeah. Hater for Bill because I'm on a first name yeah, basis yeah. with him. Right. Was that in New York or was that in L.A.? That was in New York. This was 2009 or 10. And Bill's wife at the time, Maggie Carey, who's an incredible director and writer, she was a UCB performer. Mm. And we sort of knew each other just truly like – you're another girl. I'm a girl. You're on a team. I'm on a team. There's just a few of us. Hello. <laughs> that kind of know each other. Yeah. We hadn't hung out or anything. But she had just had a baby and knew I was the nanny around town. And so hired me. And <laughs> I just had a memory. I wonder if Bill remembers this. I'm a huge comedy nerd, like we all are, and was a big Bill fan. I think this is pre-Stefan. This is He's not like a household name or anything. Okay. But I was like, oh, this is that guy. Mm-hmm. That's so good. He He had done such great things. But I feel like there was something about Stefan that sort of like made him. Everybody yeah. was watching it. Yeah. yeah. But I do remember when, he, you know, my first day of babysitting, he walked into the kitchen where I was and I said, hi, I'm Bill. <laughs> Darcy. I, I, I'm Darcy. Hi. Like, All right. <laughs> but that went away quickly. He said, that girl, I'm yeah. going to cast her one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just was lovely. I mean, I really became really close with them and their daughter and then after their daughters and Close, like family close. Like my husband and I lived with him for a little while and we just were in each other's lives every day. But, you know, I've talked about this a little bit and Bill's talked about this a little bit. I never crossed a line with either of them as far as like career stuff. Yeah. I honestly don't even know if that was like the right move or not. It has worked out for me. But I think there's, you know, an argument to be made for like you didn't shoot your shot or whatever. You should have slipped him your script or asked him if you could get an audition or told Maggie that you had this idea for a movie or whatever. But my friendship and my like working relationship with them was like too precious, if that makes sense. Yeah. I respected them too much or what we had. And I truly like thought of their daughter as family. Like she was so important to me. She still is. I talk to her all the time. She's a big girl now. 
it wasn't even an option. It wasn't like a consideration. It was just not going to happen. And I took their privacy really seriously. It wasn't like UCB knew like, oh, Darcy babysits for Bill and Maggie. It was just like my own little, that was just, (laughs) that was just for us. Yeah. But knowing them for so many years, they've been so good to me. And when Barry came around, Bill says, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but he has said that he knew he was going to put me in the show, but I didn't know that. (laughs) And it was this weird pilot season where I had auditioned for The Good Place and Barry at the same time. Mm Because if you don't know, you probably do, but I'm talking to the listener. I know you know. (laughs) When it's pilot season, which doesn't super exist anymore, but when it's pilot season, you're auditioning for a ton of pilots and you can audition for many a day or, you know, many a week or whatever. So I was auditioning for Barry and The Good Place at the same time within the same couple weeks and with callbacks and stuff within the same weeks. And it just so happened that I got The Good Place before I got Barry. But Bill tells it in a funny way where he was, like, thinking, I'm going to give this girl, like, the break (laughs) of her life. And when he told me that he was going to cast me, I was like, great. Well, I hope it works out with this other show that I got. He's like, fuck you. But, of course, you know, he was very happy and is, you know, he's not that much older than me, but he has such dad vibes about, like, he gets, like, a little emotional. (laughs) It's really sweet. When he gets proud, he gets a little, like, he was like, look how far he worked so yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah. But so so the calls that came in that you booked Good Place and, and you booked Barry. And let me just say, before this, I booked nothing. I don't book. I didn't book. I don't book. I'm not a booker. This is not normal for me that I would be like juggling two shows. This was all totally new to me. And and I'm also not 21. This right. is like deep into my adulthood. No, you're so old. So old. <laughs> but this, you know, like looking at everybody else, which is what actors do all the time. It was like, well, it's, you know, I am old or I have missed it or I have missed my chance or shot or whatever. So to get these two was kind of beyond my wildest dreams yeah. for real. What was the experience of getting the news when you found yeah. out you booked them? The Good Place one, it took so long. It was like audition after audition and callback after callback and Honestly, it was probably only like four, but it felt like... That's a lot of callbacks. It, it was, That's a yeah. lot. Thank you. <laughs> it like, was. Can you just book me so I don't I go know. in there and ruin it? I know. Every every time is just another opportunity to screw it up. And I was like very aware of that because yeah. those auditions would go really well. Like kind of better than I thought they would. And I'd walk out of the room and be like, oh, damn, that was like, that was great. Okay, good. That felt great. And then they'd be like, great, they want to see you again. And I'd be like, no, <laughs> I've got to do something wrong. But yeah, so that was sleepless nights and pulling my hair out and checking my phone every second. Also, it was the first time I had tested for anything. And you get a lot of information when you test for something. It feels like you have it, but you Mm -hmm. also know that other people, like you have your contract, you've like signed a contract, but also the other two or three or four girls auditioning for your same role have done that. So it's it's a mindfuck. It's a huge mindfuck. And yeah, I got an email late at night one night, like 11 o'clock. That was from my agent and it was like a forward or something. I I, I have it somewhere. I think a forward from Allison Jones, who's the legendary casting person who's cast all your favorite comedies. And it just said something like, are you sitting down? And then I was, but it wasn't clear. You know, it's like, that's a great, that's a great, like, are you sitting down is like a great way to say it. But it wasn't like you booked it or you have it or it's going to you or it's official or anything. So I'm like scrolling through these like forwarded emails to try to figure out and then I just called her and I was like, tell me now, what do you mean? And she's like, you got, you got the role. They sent the email at 11 at it was, night? Yeah. And then we, just to kind of paint a little picture, I mean, we were in bed. We were in, my husband and I were in bed watching Fargo season two with Ted Danson <laughs> in it. And 
and trying to just like think of anything else but this, you know. So we were watching TV. The email comes in. And at this time, I'm going to just sort of like say some more names. We were living in a duplex with two of our other best friends, Paul Downs and Lucia Aniello, who now have created Hacks, that show Hacks. Oh, yeah. And Broad City and have been just killing it lately. So we went upstairs and knocked on their door and they were like, did you get it? <laughs> I got it. And so we popped champagne and had like a fun little night. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I remember calling my mom and dad and telling them. And I was like, I got the job. And she was like, with Bill? And I was like, oh, uh, no. No, I didn't get that. I got, But I got a different one. And then the Bill one came like the next week. Oh, my God. The Bill one. So how does the scheduling work then? Like what show started first? How do you balance two shows? This at this point is like such a weird new thing to me because I'm used to being like the master of my own domain or whatever. I'm like my own manager. I'm my own agent. All the like funnier die sketches or UCB shows or whatever. I'm like organizing them and I'm fitting everything in and I'm making it work with my jobs. I've got my schedule down. I can do anything. I can do anything. I can make anything work. And then it's like taken away from you. It's like you have no, this you has no nothing power. to do with you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it works. And it often doesn't. But I lucked out with Mike Sure. And Morgan Sackett, who do The Good Place, and Bill and Alec Berg, who do Barry, they're, like, friendly and went above whatever. They made the effort. They just yeah. called each other and said, like, we want Darcy for these episodes. Is that cool? And it's like, yeah, that's cool. We'll make it work. It just was very cool of them. These are four men that are, like, wonderful and lovely and good. That's not necessarily true for everybody in this yeah. business. And there's a lot of like ego and power trips. And I could definitely see and I know of many times where it's been like, no, you can't have her. She's ours. First position. We got her. Sorry. Nothing we can do about it. So it was very lucky that it worked out. And it really was. I mean, I don't know if schedule talk is interesting, but it was like this. Shot the pilot of The Good Place. And I should say Good Place had a series pickup and Barry had a pilot pickup. Oh. So shot the pilot of The Good Place the next week shot the pilot of Barry. The next week shot the rest of the season of The Good Place. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then Barry gets picked up like a year later. Oh, wow. HBO's slow. Yeah. The timing of that is kind of off. But what I mean is when we were shooting season two of The Good Place, we were shooting season one of Barry. And at that point, was it on top of each other? Or did yeah. They at least... oh, there God. were definitely some on top of each other Crazy. days. And I lucked out with crews that knew each other. And sometimes the base camp PA would like hand me the call sheet for the other show <laughs> to be like, they emailed it to me. So here you go. It was yeah. like really cute and great. Yeah. And I think everybody could tell that I was working hard and not complaining and making it work. And so it felt like everybody was just like, yeah, we're going to do this. Rooting for you. Yeah. yeah. It was cool. I am, you know, grateful beyond beyond measure. So Barry, which I'm going to talk about first because we're actually here talking about it because Barry is currently releasing season three. And holy shit, I love this show. I love it so much. It's so good. love it. But it's a very different tone than The Good Place. Yeah. I'm curious about like what the tone is on set to mm. create a show like that. What does it feel like there? Yeah. Barry, you know, Barry season three is a little different for me than season two and one. And not to like give anything away, but what we've seen so far, I think, you know, in the first few episodes, mm -hmm. Gene, the wonderful Henry Winkler has closed down his acting class. So the first two seasons for me were all about the acting class. And it was very <laughs> meta. It mm -hmm. was very acting classy. And Henry was very, not Gene Cousineau, but very acting teachery. And the group of actors, I think six, seven of us, we like really felt like an acting class. It was lovely. It, and I know the show is dark, but our stuff is not dark. Right. Occasionally, you know, Barry throws a tantrum or something like that. But, I mean, our stuff is not dark. So we, all we do, 
the acting class in Henry and Bill is like laugh and try to crack each other up and try to make Bill cackle behind Video Village <laughs> where he ruins take after take with his like. <laughs> <laughs> Those first two seasons are like only fun, just fun. And Bill and Alec really let us go, meaning like they would let us improvise. And there is a lot of footage. I mean, a shit ton of footage that like hasn't made it to the show, which is perfectly fine. It's Mm -hmm. wonderfully edited and they chose everything right. But the end of season one, we did Shakespearean scenes. I don't even know if you would remember this because it's kind of a blip. In real life, we like put on a Shakespeare show (laughs) with like an audience of extras. And we rehearsed them by ourselves away from each other and presented it to each other. It was like it was like school. It really was. It was incredible. A lot of season one and two felt like acting class or it felt like we were actually doing theater. Yeah. (laughs) And then this season is is different so far. But I'm working with two of my dear friends. I get Jesse Hodges and Sarah Goldberg. And it's been very different, very female. Yeah. But we really had so much fun. The thing that's so magical about Barry in the actor sphere is, like, it points so much fun at things that I don't know if the rest of the world picks up on. But, like, it's the most brilliant, both inflating and subtle about Uh the worst and best parts of actors. Yeah. Everything that, you know, Sally is going through, like, you're her assistant now. So, like, the way she treats you as her friend but also as her assistant is just... I know. It, it resonates. You know it, you know? You know it so you, well. Like, you know it. You feel it. Going back to all of your odd jobs and yeah. all of your working with friends and all, like, yeah. does it resonate because yeah. you've lived it? totally. It totally does. I'm not happy to say that I'm a lot like Natalie, but I'm not not, <laughs> you know? There's a lot of me and Natalie. People pleaser and taking on other people's problems. And I think she's like a sad little pathetic weirdo, but I also love her. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, I think a lot of the acting class, maybe not Sarah, <laughs> Sally's tough, <laughs> but a lot of the acting class would would admit the same, that our characters are not so different from us. Even if they are different from us, there's a piece of us in each of these right. characters. And they feel that way. Yeah. Like, even though, you know, I feel like it's pointing at, like I said, the fatal yeah. flaws of actors, totally. but like it feels very real and very relatable. I agree. And I don't think... At least this season, it doesn't seem like Natalie is, I don't remember the word you just used, but like pathetic or whatever. Okay, like, okay. You speak up yeah. and then you get shot down. Yeah. And things that, you know, you watch your friends get big around yeah. you and suddenly their attitudes change. Yeah. And there is a scene that's coming up where you are comforting her. Mm-hmm. I watched it three times in a row. It really? was such a stunning little scene. Oh, where damn, like, thank you. And it's this moment of you can connect to this character because she does really care yeah. as much as she's been shot on yeah. or whatever. I think so too. I could watch this show all day. Oh, that's so it. great. I'm I should so... be asking you questions. And I'm just going to tell you how No, great this is fun. I'm, I'm happy to. I mean, you know, like you make something and then it, all you want to know is if people liked it oh, and what I... they thought. And it's so cool to hear that you liked it. I loved it. Great. I really did. And I've been having that conversation a lot of like wanting to hear from people. This is going to go too far into my own personal. But like, so I have a show out right now, which I'm going to bring up when we talk about The Good Place. Okay. I directed an audio drama called Solar. We put two and a half years into this show. I've put my entire heart into this show. So I'm having this creative existential crisis now of like, it's doing well. Yeah. But I'm not talking to people I know. about it. And I know. so like, I don't know. I'm assuming they're listening. I'm assuming it's going well, but yeah. like no one gives you feedback. Yeah. So to loop it yeah. back to you, when you aren't getting that kind of feedback, how do you keep yourself motivated? Mm. And how do you not get depressed about it? Mm. <laughs> I mean, it does help to have the next thing. Mm -hmm. That isn't always a luxury that we all have. But, God, I honestly feel like I am, like, 
I know I'm name dropping a lot, but I think that's kind of fun for this. Yeah. I feel like I literally heard Judd Apatow say this to Bill when I was babysitting, like years ago, years ago, something about you have to have the next project, not meaning Bill, mm-hmm. but just meaning like maybe he said it to Maggie. Maybe that's what it was. I think he was saying it to Maggie Carey as she was finishing up a movie she had directed and was obviously, you know, stressed and anxious and excited and all that stuff. And his advice was you have to be looking to the next thing. Otherwise, it's like you're saying, like every ounce of your heart and soul is on something that's like almost like done. Yeah. Which feels so sad. That is so sad. I know. Because you're like, but that's, I did, <laughs> but this is what I worked, I worked on. it. <laughs> I know. And also we can't all be as lucky as Jed Apatow to have like the next thing you're doing. But I do think, I, like when I'm thinking back on my career or just <laughs> mental health when I've been the best is when it's like okay that thing is done I loved it can't wait till it comes out but like now I'm gonna look you at this next thing on. that I'm doing or that I'm working on or that I get to go to or whatever and that it is a luxury but it's also like that can be many different things it doesn't have to be that you got cast in something or you got hired on something it could be like your project or your script or your anything you know you have but, something to turn your focus exactly to. yeah yeah yeah, I'm not good at that. I, I know. I, I, it's hard. And everybody wants to know, like, what's next? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. Also, that's, that question sucks. I hate that question. Yeah, that question sucks. I actually yeah. don't ask it. That's good. Honestly, my husband and I talk about this all the time. I don't ask the questions, but then I don't necessarily, like, know what my – I know what my friends are doing, but I don't know what, like, everybody in my life is doing. Right. You know? I mean, I think the, like, what are you up to or, yeah. like, how's your life yeah. question works. But the, okay, you want to talk about the thing you've worked so hard on, but instead, like, I'm going to, what's in the future? It's the same thing as, like, you know, you get married and suddenly someone's saying, w- w- when are you having a baby? Yeah, yeah. You're like, let me, like, just, let me live. This is a moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't experienced that, so I don't know why that was my reference. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Okay, yeah. I want to <laughs> jump over to The Good Place because okay. obviously the show is one of the great comedies of not – I mean of our generation at least. Cool. And <laughs> since we did just talk about Solar, I'm going to just yeah, please. bring it back to this. My character I, – I acted in it too – and my character is the voice of the ship. It's a spaceship okay. that goes up and her name is Allie and she's a computer yeah. the whole time. Yeah. But through the writing and through the story, she does evolve and she does get some kind of personality. Mm -hmm. And it was a real challenge to figure out, like, how do you stay in Siri voice but also develop? And so while we were recording it, I remember, like, reading articles about you talking about Janet and being like, I knew I couldn't be emotional because in season one, like, Janet doesn't have emotions. I have felt a connection to Janet in that way. How funny. I love that you sort of like remember, you're like, oh my God, where do I know this from? I read this. I'm feeling what I read. Yeah, it is a weird thing. It's And, and it, it would make sense for any character that's like this, that's like a computer. And, and we've seen him in plenty of things, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's a Pinocchio type of character or a robot, this sort of evolving fine line, especially for me with The Good Place, I like respected the writers and audience so much. That I was like, I can't fake this or I can't like trick them. This has to be like, (laughs) this has to be like real. I have to really understand every new step in her. Yeah. Otherwise they're going to see right through it or they're going to be like, "Mm." for me with The Good Place, I've really felt like no scripts ever. (laughs) Like the words coming out of my mouth are, were bad. No scripts were (laughs) bad. But I mean like there was no red flags. There was no, "Uh, that doesn't work. It was like I'd get the script in my little hand and I'd read it and I'd be like, mwah. 
perfection. Yeah. And so it's like, well, if they're giving us this, we have to like work equally hard. And yeah. then the audience just turned out to be just as incredible. That kind of leads into a listener question I have. Kua Whitman asks, how much input did you get in the overall development of Janet from The Good Place? The character is so unique and funny. Did you get to create her along with the creators? You know, Kua, that's a great question. Wow, this is this is a funny one because I'm kind of like, I had nothing to do with the character. I didn't create her at all. It was all the writers. But I think, okay, it's like this. I would read a script and I would take it in and then I would act it and then they would see the acting and then they would write a script and then I would read the script and then I would act it and then they'd see the acting and they'd write a script and I'd read the script. So it was like we were feeding off of totally yeah. yeah so they I think they saw what I was bringing to her and I think that they were like okay cool let's go in this direction or whatever was it like they would deliver a script and you would have a table read and they would change the script no or you just mean week after week week after week I mean episode okay. after episode I really mean it I spent at this point decades improvising I did not improvise much on that show it was not me being like let me throw my little Janet stuff in here and also no shade to improvising. I love improvising and I love it when directors let you do that. But this, I treated it like the Bible or something like that. I was like, <laughs> you must get every word right. Mm -hmm. Do not stray from the script. Truly down to the whatever, down to the you say do not instead of don't or whatever it is in the script. I'm saying that, especially as Janet. So I kind of feel like I had nothing to do with it. But I know we all influenced each other over the years, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Ask Mike. <laughs> <laughs> So I know, and this has been spoken about before, but the, the Janet's episode oh. where suddenly the writers deliver to you the script and there are uh, just, just Janet's, Janet's after Janet's, Janet's after Janet's yeah, after yeah, Janet's. Yeah. What you do in it is insane. <laughs> For one thing, you play all of the main characters, uh, which were you an impressionist before? Is that a skill you no. have? What was that oh, like that's then? Funny that you even say before. I'm like, I'm not an impressionist. <laughs> yeah, that was so hard and so fun and truly like I lost my mind in maybe the best way. Getting that gift of a script, everything in my life I had ever worked towards was in this one script. And so I was like, I'm going to put every ounce of myself, every bit of work I could possibly do on this script is going in. I'm not wasting a minute, wasting a day. Like I maybe overdid it because <laughs> I lost my mind. It was all I thought about, slept, drink, eat, everything. It was just constantly working on it. How long between getting the script and shooting it? Maybe we had one week off in between. So it might have been it might have been two weeks. I think they gave it to me a little bit earlier than That's, normally. Yeah, it's a big lift. Yeah. yeah. But it also a, a very close friend's wedding fell in that week off <laughs> that I was officiating. <laughs> oh, great. So it was tough. <laughs> Couldn't work yeah. constantly. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was just phenomenal also because especially the ones where you're playing the characters on the show, it's not just cute joke. It's really big, heavy moments for all of them <laughs> that you're actually performing for the actors who would have been performing them. It was them. just so funny. But so dramatic. Like yeah. there's this beautiful scene where, you know, Chidi finally says I love you yeah. to Eleanor and it's actually you saying it <laughs> to, to myself. I want to know what the process was of getting into each of these characters was for you. And also, how did you do the kissing yourself mm. thing? Yeah, great. Great <laughs> questions. The process was, well, I will say like this was season three. So I'd worked with all these people for about three years. And so I know them very well. And I always say like, if you watch the show, you mm -hmm. could do it. You know, these characters are very distinct. But when I knew I was doing this episode, I was like creepy watching them, staring at them. And I had the editor edit together a bunch of different, I don't know, body, like Chidi walking, Eleanor sitting, Jason jumping. Like I just wanted to like <laughs> see things and do them. And man, oh man, 
getting into each character. I probably have little trigger words for each of them. I honestly can't remember them anymore, but I would probably say something that like if Manny said like, oh, dip or whatever, I would say that like as I was getting into my costume to sort of like get into that. And I say into my costume because it was fast. It was like quick changes. The way it was shot, it wasn't like I was Jason for a day and then Cheaty for a day. It was like Jason for this setup, but then you got to switch into the Cheaty and then switch back into Tahani and then we're going to move the camera and then back into Jason and then Cheaty. And you know what I mean? So it was like, yeah, it was constantly changing so much so that we like made a a little quick change dressing room off to the side. Because that was another thing. Usually on the show, I get to like pop in and say my little thing and then pop out. And Kristen has all the heavy lifting and Ted has all the heavy lifting. And I was like, okay, so this is going to be all me. There's no world in which I'm not prepared or I'm making the crew wait or, you know, I'm asking dumb questions or anything. For some reason, even something like the quick change, I was like, run. Gotta be the quickest change. change. (laughs) Like, I just couldn't have that pressure of, you know, we're waiting on Darcy. She's getting her clothes on or whatever. So I would do the quick change and honestly just looking in the mirror at the costume on me and like getting into whatever the body posture was. Then it was playtime. It was really fun. It was really fucking fun. Chidi was less fun, but that also makes sense for the character. He was like hard. (laughs) You had to be really nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like Jason, I could have played Jason for uh, for years. I could play Jason for years. He was so fun. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as the kissing, I mean, I know this is we're listening with our ears, not with our eyes, but I could show you a video. And if you're listening and you're desperately interested in this, I think if you scroll back a couple years in my Instagram (laughs) to around the time when the show went off the air, so that would be like January 2020, Mm -hmm. um, you would see this video. And it's like, I'm kissing a pole with a pair of plastic lips on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And it's like, Morgan Sack at the director. The, the whole episode was like incredibly technical and like way beyond me. But Morgan was like looking at it on a screen, an iPad screen, and he was saying like, move your head this way a little bit and chin down this way. Okay. And then I was like on a lazy Susan and we would spin around. They would spin you. Yeah. It wasn't like a steady cam. It wasn't cam. the camera. It That's... was like a... Amazing. And like kind of have to like brace yourself for when it stops. And then when I was cheaty, Janet... Kristen and I really did kiss because there's the moment where, okay, Cheaty Janet is kissing Eleanor Janet. And then as they spin, Kristen Eleanor is yeah. kissing Cheaty Janet. And then as they spin, Kristen Eleanor is kissing William Cheaty. Everybody got some action that It day. was great. Yeah. I know. I didn't get to kiss William. And I remember being like, I think we should do one more spin. I feel like there's a world in which. Just in case. Yeah. Just so we have it. Yeah. Yeah. So fun. So you've said, like, you haven't played a character for this long before. Did you keep any Janetisms with you? Like, did they Mm -hmm. become a part of you? Yeah. You know what? I actually, I was shooting something today, and I was like, don't stand like her (laughs) in my head. I was like, you can't do that. You kind of become each other, Mm -hmm. and Janet is me, and I am her. And, man, I really loved playing that character. Even just thinking about it right now, I'm like, that really felt great. It really felt great every day going to that trailer and getting into that costume. I was like, great. I love this. But yeah, I think the physical stuff is, for for some reason, I think because Janet's physicality, at least to me, was so specific that I try not to do it in my real life or in my other acting. But it's hard, you know? Yeah. I mean, I do clock myself every time I say, like, hi there in my real life. I'm like, don't say that. You can't say that anymore. (laughs) Hi there. Yeah. You know? (laughs) But that is something a normal person would say. But I'm like, well, don't say that. So if you could relive one day on set from any of the sets you've been on. I already know. What day? 
it would be the last day of The Good Place. What happened on the last night? Yeah. And actually, I would say the American last day because we ended up going to Paris and Greece to film, oh, sure. which was incredible. <laughs> I mean, I would also relive those days forever. But it was the last day we shot the stuff in like the redwoods in the forest, mm-hmm. you know, walking through the, the door. It was just incredible. And it was like really heavy and really beautiful and the location was insane, and it was like an early morning, like they always are, but it was just like the sun coming out. We all flew up to the Bay Area and went to some forest in the Bay Area. So it was kind of like we were on a little trip together, and we rode in the van, just the actors, to this location, which was maybe like an hour away. And we like we, we went around the, the van and talked about the first time each of us met each other, mm. like trying to remember the first time you laid eyes on each other, which was fun and It just was like really lovey and sweet and special and fun and like funny. It wasn't like we were sobbing the whole day. There were some tears for sure. But I think everybody cast and crew was like, we are so lucky. This is one in a million. We are so lucky. Everybody's like in love with each other and loves this job and loves this show. And this is not normal. This is like very, very lucky. You know, Ted says stuff like that. He's free with his love and his words and and it's pretty remarkable he'll let you know if he's feeling emotional and and there's something i hear him say a lot is like how lucky are we which i'm like damn dude yeah Yeah. if he feels that way like how did i how did i get here you know so that runs into my last question which i ask everybody and it's my favorite question to ask what does it mean to you to have a life in storytelling Mm -hmm. well it's like as simple as I think I go back to the childhood stuff, to my childhood, but also to other kids, opening up a kid's eyes and brain and imagination. What could be more special than that? There is something, not to bring it back to the good place, but kids love that show and kids seem to love Janet, which I think has something to do with she wears the same costume every day. It's a little bit of like a Mickey Mouse thing. It's a character they recognize, but like little kids and their parents tell me about how much they love the show. And that feels like life-changing for me and for them, where I'm like, you know, when I think of things I loved as a kid, that formed who I am, you know? And I know we're not just talking about The Good Place, but if that story is something that opens up a kid's eyes or triggers some exciting thing in their imagination and forms who they are, that's like all I could ask for. And truly, I mean, I don't want a kid watching Barry (laughs) or Broad City or, you know, like there's plenty of things that that a kid shouldn't be watching. But kid aside, I feel incredibly lucky to be telling the stories that I get to tell. I should say be a part of these stories, you know. I don't know, man. I like tried so hard for so long and would have taken anything. And somehow I got like the best things. And I really feel like that. Like I know we didn't talk about it, but getting to work on Broad City and getting to work on The Good Place and getting to work on Barry and League of Their Own, which is coming up. These are the best things. I get to work on the things that I would choose. If I had all the choices in the world, I would pick those. I just feel really lucky and privileged and honored, you know? Darcy Carden, thank you for coming in today and talking to me way longer That's than you needed great. to. That's great. My dinner was canceled. We're all good. This was a pleasure. Uh, really, uh, the pleasure is all mine. And thank you, Shane. Thank you, Shane. Shane. Check out Solar. Check out Solar. Hollywood Unscripted is created by Kurt Co Media. This episode was hosted by me, Jenny Curtis, with guest Darcy Carden. Recorded at Shane Salk Productions by Shane Salk himself. And our Hollywood Unscripted theme song is by Celeste and Eric Dick. Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Kurt Co Media. 
Media for your mind.